0: All right. Thank you, Kyle, and the, the rest of the team. Um, I think that song uh, shows Christ. I think that's the third time you play it, and I preach, which is oh, yeah, which is great. I in my mind now, every time I hear that song, I'm like, oh, I have to walk up to the front now. So I, I might come up here uh, if you play it. Um, but it is it is such a g- great song, especially for what we're studying. We're we're in Mark six today, and we're continuing our study in the miracles of Christ, and uh, week after week, we've just been looking at Christ's power on display as he validates himself, as he validates the claims he makes about himself, and uh, this is what we're doing today, and, and I, I do pray that we, just, we see Christ in, in the miracle today. So we're, we're in Mark 6, and we're looking at the very familiar miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, uh, and it's, it's, one, it's the only miracle that is in every single gospel. Mark, I was going to say Mark, honestly, that's weird. Mark, um, I'll say it again, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Okay, so we have, I know my gospels, four of <laughs> us. Um, so in every single gospel, it's in there. And it, excluding the resurrection is the only miracle that's in all four gospels. So there's something here that we have to catch, something that all four gospel writers thought it was incredibly important for us to, to hear and to learn from. Uh, but we're very familiar with it. We've, we've been hearing this story since we were kids. I mean, how many of you have seen flannel graphs of this story in Sunday school? Um, I'm sure you've read it in a children's Bible, either as a child yourself or reading it to your own children. Uh, so it's it's very, very familiar. Uh, but my hope for us today is that we could get a fresher uh, and deeper insight of this miracle. Uh, because if we look at this miracle closely and we apply it to our life, this miracle has a challenge to us. It is, it is challenging. If this story is true, it's going to challenge us on who we really think Christ is. And I don't think we see this miracle as that. I think we, we kind of stop and say, great, Jesus can create bread. And we look at his creative power, and that's great, but, but it goes deeper than that. Now, we may never doubt Christ's power we may never doubt his compassion in our words. But we can certainly doubt Christ with our attitudes and with our fears. We can doubt Christ with our anxieties. We can start doubting his compassion, his care for us. Let's say when our bank account starts to get low. And we start to think, when's the next, where, where's our money going to come from? Or our health begins to fail. Or there's, there's sin in our life that we just can't seem to get that victory. And we start to doubt. Is Christ's power sufficient? Can he do this? We start looking at our friends and families that we've been praying for, who still reject Christ, over years even. And we start to question, maybe there is no solution here. Those are the instances where, where doubt starts to creep in, and those questions become blaring in our minds. How big is your Savior really? How, how, how much do you believe in, in that In that he is all-powerful and that he is a compassionate shepherd? And when we look at the feeding of the 5,000, this is what we're faced with, where Christ comes up to us and reveals himself as that compassionate and, and as that powerful shepherd. And it does this in a way where it emphasizes that we cannot do it. In this story, we're looking at March six. In that story, it's going to be so obvious that if we're left to our own devices, our own resources, we are going to fail and we have to rest on Christ. We have to rest that He is compassionate and that He is powerful to provide. So this is the truth that we need to hang on to and this is the truth that we can never let go. No matter how difficult the problem seems, no matter how impossible it looks, at, it looks like, we cannot let go of this promise, of this fact, that we have a compassionate and powerful shepherd. And I, my hope is that all of us see that more clearly today as we go into our text. So we are in Mark 6. I'll start reading from verse 30. So please read along with me in your Bibles. We're in Mark 6, verse 30. The apostles gathered together with Jesus, and they reported to him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a secluded place and rest for a while. For there were many people coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. They went away in the boat to a secluded place by themselves. The people saw them going, and many recognized them and ran, together, uh, ran there together on foot from all the cities and got there ahead of them. When Jesus went ashore, he saw a large crowd, and he felt compassion for them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. When it was already quite late, his disciples came to him and said, This place is desolate, and it is already quite, uh, quite late. Send them away so that we may go into the surrounding countryside and villages, or so they may go into the surrounding co- countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and spend 200 denarii on bread and give them something to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go look. And when they found out, they said, Five and two fish. And he commanded them all to sit down by groups on the green grass. They sat down in groups of hundreds and of fifties. He took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up toward heaven, He blessed the food, broke the loaves, and he kept giving them to the disciples to set before them. And he divided up the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And they picked up 12 full baskets of the broken pieces and also the fish. There are 5,000 men who ate the loaves. Pray with me. Father, we open up our Bibles today and look at this. Uh, this familiar miracle of you providing these these 5,000 men plus others uh, food. Father, I pray that as we dive into this, that we would just see how compassionate you really are. How powerful you, re- you really are. That we will see that there are, is no problem that is too big for you. Lord, help us to see that we have a big Savior. And that no other problem could, could thwart your purposes. Be with us today as we read your word, as we study your word. In Jesus' name, Amen. All right. So what we're going to look at in this passage, in this passage, we study. We're going to look at three things. Three, um, yeah, three things I want to focus on. The first is the shepherd's compassion. So the shepherd's compassion. We'll we'll look at that verses thirty three through thirty four. Then we're going to look at the shepherd's challenge, 35 through 37. So verses 35 through 37, this is, uh, the shepherd's challenge. And then finally, the shepherd's power, 30 through 44. So we have the shepherd's compassion, the shepherd's challenge, and the shepherd's power. And again, my, my hope is that as we start to look at these things as, as these things, as we dive into it, that we see the Savior more clearly. That he becomes our passionate shepherd. Our powerful provider. Uh, but before we can look at those passages uh, or at our passage, we, we gotta understand the context here, and that's what verse thirty through thirty two does. Thirty thirty two gives us our setting, gives us what we're looking at, and when we read verses thirty, we see that uh, that the apostles just has have come back from their trip. So earlier in the in the book of Mark, Jesus has just sent out the disciples. They went out and they went out to, to preach. They went out to, um, to heal, to cast out demons. Uh, and, and they were proclaiming the gospel. And they have just come back from, from that short-term mission trip. It was probably about, uh, about four months to a year that they were gone from Christ. So they come back. And at the same time they come back, we read in verse 31 that there were many people coming and going. They're there in the midst of this swarming crowd And verse 31 says that they didn't even have time to eat. So Jesus and the disciples, they're surrounded by this crowd. They have nothing to eat. They're constantly doing ministry. And we want to ask, where did that crowd come from? And John fills us in here. So uh, I love Mark. Mark is uh, very succinct, very straightforward, saying this happened, this happened, this happened. But but in do that, he kind of jumps over a lot of details. But we have the other Gospels kind of fill that in. It's called Harmonizing the Gospels. And the Gospel of John tells us that this crowd, they were coming in and they were looking at Jesus because he was doing signs. These were sign seekers. They wanted to follow Jesus, not so much because of what he was saying or because who he is, but because of the miracles he was performing. And so they were just going there for a show. There was an attraction there. Um, and and it's, I'm sure it was a, an attraction. Right? If you see someone... Suddenly, sick and they're not sick, or someone has a withered hand and suddenly they don't have a withered hand anymore. That is interesting, right? And so we we start to see this crowd following Jesus because they're they're doing the signs. And I can just imagine Jesus being surrounded by all these people, all them asking to heal, some of them just wanting him to heal so they could see something, so they could see a, a show. And then here comes the disciples coming back and they are just spent, right? And I think at this point in time, the disciples are, they're, they're pretty low on energy, right? If you ever come back from a trip, the first day you come back, right, you, it's not like you're ready to go to Disneyland or, or go out, right? You want to stay home and kind of adjust to, to just being back. So here comes the disciples coming back from their four-month, two-year uh, trip. And Jesus is just looking at them and says, so oh, you know what, we, we got to take a break here. And so this is what he tells them in verse 31. He said to them, Come away by yourselves to a secluded place and rest for a while. So Jesus is like, hey, let's just, the 13 of us, let's just get out of here. Let's get on that boat. We're going to go to a place that's secluded, a place that's uninhabited, uninhabited, a place that's isolated, away from everybody, and let's just rest. I think that's uh, important to remember that, that Christ was concerned about the rest of his disciples. Right. We, when, we, when we see ministry and we see that there's need and that there's um, yeah the gospel needs to be proclaimed, there's always an action there. But, but Christ looked at his disciples like, this is a time for rest. You guys need rest. and So they step away. And so they go in the boat and they go and get away from the crowd. Now where they are right now, they're looking at the Sea of Galilee. So they're in the Sea of Galilee. Uh, and they get in the boat, and they're not going to go across the sea. They're not going to a completely different area. They're just going to cut the corner of the sea and just to kind of get away from the crowd, not leaving the area. And I'm sure being on that boat, it was pretty much like a, a, a well-deserved kind of cruise, right? Like they're, they're on the boat, um, and I'm sure that time on, on the boat was great. There's, um, this is about the springtime, so we see in John that this is around Passover, so this is springtime in Galilee. Uh, the mountains, uh, are, they're not dirt, they're covered with grass, so it's a nice scenery. Um, yeah, so springtime, kind of get like nice weather there around that time. So it's just a, a great time being on the ocean and, and spending time together, kind of recapping, I'm sure, about all the, trip, all, all the things that happened on the trip. But that, ra- that rest does not last very long. So we go to verse 33. And in verse 33... In the middle of them having this rest and, and going to get away from the crowd, a gospel opportunity presents itself. And this gospel opportunity allows us to see this great compassion that Christ has uh, on, on full display. So let's look at verse 33. This is where we start to see the shepherd's compassion. So we're gonna look at the shepherd's compassion. Verse 33 the people saw them going, the crowd, and many recognized them and ran there together on foot from all the cities and got there ahead of them. When Jesus went ashore, he saw a large crowd and he felt compassion for them. So Mark says they got off the, the, they got off the boat and, and the crowd is there. Um, and again, what, what I want to do is look at a couple of gospels. So if we look at John, the gospel of John says that when they got off the boat, they went up to the mountain and the crowd approached Jesus while he was on the mountain. So they're not, when we look at the Gospels, they're, they're not contradicting each other. Okay? They're, they're giving different facets of it. So when we look at Mark, what probably happened was that there was this crowd, and the younger, faster people were able to run over and meet Jesus to where they were. They right? were able to kind of meet up to him. So you have, a, you have some people there. You don't have a large crowd like we did a few moments ago, but you have some people there. So Jesus and the disciples get off. Go up to the mountain, and they and they sit on the mountain. And as they're sitting there, more people start to congregate, and he sees a crowd now, a, a, a big crowd starts to come up uh, towards them. And there they go again; they're in the middle of a crowd once again. So not much of a rest. I mean, I think if I was a disciple and I said, "Well, that's my vacation," I'd be tempted to just kind of put up a big sign and say, "Gone on vacation" or like "Gone fishing" or something. So they would just kind of come back or come back after the weekend. That would be my reaction <laughs> um, because I get tired and I value my rest maybe more than I should. But Jesus sees this crowd and he does not react that way. He sees this crowd and he feels compassion for them. Now I love this Greek word. It's, it's, it's fun to say. See, <laughs> I can't even say it. Splanknesomai. Splanknesomai. That word. Is a word for compassion, and what it means is a strong emotion that is felt deep within somebody. It's a deep emotion that that is a genuine care or concern for another. So this is what Jesus looks at, and when he looks at the crowd, he has a strong concern for them. And and that verb is very special for the gospel writers. If you look at where that verb comes up, you will see that it does come up in, in the parables. But outside the parables, when it's talking about real people, the only person in the Gospels who feels this compassion is Christ. This is a special compassion that the Savior has for the lost, for those who are in need. And I think we felt something like this before. I mean, when you, when you look at videos of, of kids who are, who are uh, in a state of starvation, when you look at kids who are in danger, or even... Let's say I mean, something more commonplace. If, if you're, um, it's kind of funny. This is the second time I mentioned Disneyland in my sermon. If you mention Disneyland or if you go to Disneyland and you see a kid, uh, a little boy, a little girl crying in the middle, there's no parents in sight. You know, we feel something for that. That's that's sad. We want to go help them. And so when Jesus feels this reaction. It always is followed by an action. He doesn't feel compassion and say, well, I hope someone does something about that. He knows that he's the answer. And he always follows it by action. A couple of examples I want to point you to. So you don't have to turn here, but in Luke 7, we have the widow who's weeping over her son. Her son is dead. Her son is in the coffin, and she's weeping over it. The Lord sees sees her and has compassion for her, and he acts. He goes in and raises her son from the dead. We see it in Mark 1. We have this untouchable leper. He approaches Jesus, and the leper says, If you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus has compassion, and he acts, and he cleanses the leper. And now we see that here. We see Jesus has this compassion for this crowd. But what about this crowd gives Jesus this compassion? What about, is, about this crowd is driving this compassion for Jesus. And we read in verse 34, it says, He saw a large crowd and he felt compassion for them because, here's the reason, they were like sheep without a shepherd. Now, I know we hear a lot about sheep. If you're listening to sermons, uh, a good amount, sheep come up. um, It's a common theme in Scripture. And I was just, just, um, there's a story that I came across about. how important it is for sheep to have the shepherd. Uh, there is this, uh, the, these these pastors, these um, these shepherds in Istanbul, and they're watching their sheep. There's about uh, 1,500 sheep there, and it was in the morning, and they're, the sheep are there grazing, and they, they take a, rest, a break, so they go inside, they have breakfast, and um, uh, if I use my imagination, it's just, Imagine them sitting inside having breakfast and hearing this ba. They look outside and they see all these sheep following each other off this cliff. So they just keep going and going and going this is this is fifteen hundred sheep and so I was reading the story I'm like, did this actually happen and I found it on like reputable sites so this is not like a little story that you know pastors pass around or anything yeah. of that um, so I found this on, like, I think Fox News had it and a couple other places had it. Uh, so they, they start to fall 1,500 sheep, and, and 450 of the sheep die. The rest of them survive. So if you think about the percentage, uh, that is kind of, uh, that's a I think that's a pretty good percentage of falling, sheep falling off the cliff. And there was this one line that kind of just got to me. Um I I wrote this line from the article. It says, those who jumped later, those sheep who jumped later, were saved as the pile got higher and the fall more cushioned. (laughs) (laughs) I guess, you know, there's just falling and a whole bunch of sweaters are there to catch them. (laughs) So this is a sheep who, the the shepherds, they stepped away to feed themselves, right, to, to have some breakfast. And those sheep, in that short time, ended up on the bottom of a cliff. I think this just shows you, when Jesus is looking at the sheep without a shepherd, how important it is for sheep to have leaders. Right? Sheep need leaders. They need shepherds. Because without them, we see the, these tragic results. And how much more important is it when, when these sheep are the people of God? So Jesus looks at these people, and he sees them without the shepherd. And we know that the religious leaders at that time were not shepherding them. They were not taking this group of people to greener pastures, right? They were encaging them with the legalistic rules and worth of loss. They were not shepherding. These are sheep without a shepherd. And that phrase itself is really important in the Old Testament. We see it time and time again in the Old Testament. And you don't have to turn there, but Ezekiel 34, show you a couple things here. If you want to turn there, you can. Ezekiel 34. Ezekiel 34, we're talking about the restoration of Israel. So this this hasn't happened yet. This is still in the future. uh, But we do see that idea of of the importance of sheep having the shepherd, of the people of God being shepherded. And so chapter 34, verse 3, this is addressed to the shepherds of Israel. It says, You eat the fat and clothe yourself with the wool. You slaughter the fat sheep without feeding the flock. Those who are sickly you have not strengthened The diseased you have not healed, the broken you have not bound up, the scattered you have not brought back, nor have you sought for the lost. But with force and with severity you have dominated them. This is the lost sheep of Israel. This is what, when Jesus sees his people, this is what they're seeing. This is what he sees. They are are without a shepherd. Verse 5 says, they were scattered for the lack of a shepherd. And they became food for every beast of the field and were scattered. Now, in Ezekiel, it doesn't stop there. That is the sad condition of what it's like when you are without a shepherd. But the next part of the chapter, there's hope. This is where the hope comes in. This is where the promise comes in. Ezekiel 34, verse 23. This is a promise. Then I will set over them one shepherd my servant David, and he will feed them. He will feed them himself and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David will be the prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. So when Jesus, let's go, going back to Mark 6, so when Jesus is seeing this crowd, and he's seeing them that they don't have a shepherd, that they, have, they don't have anyone to lead them, no one to protect them, no one to feed them, his compassion turns into action. So here's Jesus out there in the wilderness, surrounded by by these people, these these sheep without a shepherd. And he looks at it, and I can just imagine these words of his ego running through his head, saying, my people are lost. And this great compassion comes out. There is this concern that Jesus has for their souls, for the souls of the lost people. So I don't, want to, I don't want to go through this too fast, through the compassion, because this is a turning point of the story. Right? At, at this point, the, we know Jesus is going to do something, because Jesus always acts when there's compassion. And what we're seeing here is that this is the heart that God has for his people, and this is the heart that Christ has for his people. He is the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. This is who Jesus is. This is what the feeding of the 5,000 shows us. That he is that good shepherd. He is that Messiah. So what does he do? What is this result of this compassion? What is this action? Now, we know the feeding of the 5,000. We'll think, okay, so his compassion is feeding them, feeding them bread and fish. Well, look at the action. Back to verse 34. He felt compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd and he began to teach them many things. So he has, he has compassion. The reason for the compassion is because they're sheep without, uh, without a shepherd. And the result of his compassion is teaching them. Teaching them many things. So he doesn't go to the, to the temporary satisfaction of the food. That's, that's not what the feeding of the 5,000 is about. Remember, we, we talked about this. Our, our pastor has said, that when, when Christ does a miracle is to validate the claims that he's making. The feeding of the 5,000 is to validate what he's doing now, that he, he is being their shepherd. And so he feeds them the, the word of God. He gives them something that has eternal significance, it's not something that's going to be digested, that's going to satisfy for a short, mom- short moment, and then it's gone, and then you're hungry again. He gives them e- eternal significance. Uh, 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 he gives them that eternal bread. Luke tells us a little bit more. Luke says that he teaches the that, he, that Jesus is teaching the kingdom of God. So there's there's a subject. Now, anytime Jesus is teaching the kingdom of God, this is a subject of salvation. He's ta- he's teaching them repentance. So this is what the compassion of the shepherd looks like. He has gone away, taken his his disciples for a break. He sees these people, and he is moved to compassion. And his rest is not important anymore. The fact that he hasn't eaten, that's not important anymore. The need for the, to, for the gospel to be proclaimed and the need for him to minister to his sheep far outweighs his need for rest. So I think he, here's a challenge for us today. We need rest. We need to recharge. It's, it's, very, it's okay and necessary to, to, to step away from time to time. But we need to remember the needs of others. We need to remember that there are those who are hungry. Now, we need to remember that there are those who are hungry for physical food, and we need to give them food and the gospel. But how often are we surrounded by people who are spiritually hungry? You could be at Starbucks, there's someone right next to you getting food, and they are spiritually starving, they are lost without a shepherd. And so are we willing to, to give up some rest? Guys, we have an eternity of rest. We're going to step into rest. Are we willing to sacrifice the rest that we have in this life so that we could proclaim truth and hope to those who need it? Well, this is what we see with our compassionate shepherd. He denies himself to shepherd the lost. And so we see the shepherd's compassion. Now this, this story kind of takes a turn. The, the the compassion that he has comes with a challenge to his disciples. So he's teaching these, this crowd, and look at, look at what the disciples are concerned about. Verse 35, When it was already quite late, his disciples came to him and said, This place is desolate and it's already quite late. Send them away so that, we may, or so that they may go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. Now, this is a reasonable concern, right? They're out there in the middle of nowhere on purpose, but they, now they have this crowd. Uh, we, we read in verse 44 that this is 5,000 men who have come to Jesus in the middle of nowhere. Uh, uh, Matthew is going to tell us that it's 5,000 men besides women and children. So that, those numbers could really go up, right? It's 5,000 men. Let's say a woman, a woman for each man, so it's 10,000 and throw in some children, 15,000 possibly. You know, that might be on the high end, but you know, we still, this is thousands and thousands of people. I mean, I, I could easily see this crowd filling up Staples Center or the Hollywood Bowl. So it's a big problem that we have, or that they have all these people there and nothing to give them, right? There's no food. And when I look at the, when I look at the disciples, um, what they suggest, it, to me it seems reasonable. Like, yeah, let them go. It's getting late. This is, we're looking in the late afternoon now. We can, we can kind of tell the day is over. We can kind of tell night is going to be coming soon. So let's let them go. But you see, the, when you look at the disciples in verse, uh, and, and how they say this, verse 36, they say it like it's the only possible solution. They come up to Christ and say, Christ, um, you didn't realize this, but now it's late and we have a lot of people here. So let them go. And in the Greek, this, this, this verb here when it says send them away, this is an imperative. Right? So they already saw Jesus' power. right? They know that Jesus can calm the storm. If I was a disciple, I would at least make this a question. Um, can you, do you think it's a good idea to send them away? But, but he make, they make it a statement. They make it an imperative. Send them away. This is what you must do because this is the only solution to this problem. And they're quite insistent. I don't know if you ever thought uh, a boss was wrong and you wanted to go tell him, or a teacher or a parent, uh, you wanna, you wanna, and you're so confident that you're going to go up there and you're like, hey, this is your mistake. Um, if you don't know, I, I'm, I'm a teacher, uh, and I occasionally get students who want to point out my mistakes, which is fine. I make mistakes. so uh, that's, that's totally fine. <laughs> so it's the way they do it, though, sometimes. They, they start walking up, and they stand up, push themselves up, head up in the, in the air, come up towards me and say, Professor, mistake. I said, okay, you're probably right. <laughs> uh, let's take a look at it. So I tell them, well, prove it. Show me that I made a mistake. Um, and so after some, some deliberation and talk and then getting through some ego, uh, they eventually walk back down to their seats with their head down. Um, <laughs> most of the time. <laughs> all the time. So I just can't imagine the disciples saying, there is something wrong here. Here's what's wrong, Jesus. And Jesus just completely turns this around on them. Look at, look at verse 37. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. The, the, the Greek is very emphatic. It's you do it. Like, you guys are now responsible for feeding these people now. Like Man, that's the last time I ever told Jesus to do something. <laughs> Man, what a response! There's no bakeries, no no, you know, no no stores nearby. Remember, they're in an isolated place for, for on purpose. And uh, John gives us a little bit more. John turn, uh, John writes that Jesus turns to Philip, and he says to Philip, "Where should we buy bread?" And I could just imagine Philip's confusion. Like, okay, you told me you give them something, to eat and you tell me where is their bread. Like, do you see like a food cart somewhere? Is there like a food truck in the back of these 5,000 people? Like, what's going on? So if we read that, that Jesus did this because he was testing Philip. Jesus already knew what he was going to do. He was teaching the disciples a lesson. He wanted them to know something. And sometimes the Lord has to do that to us. He needs to take us to a place of impossibility. right? And we could be so resistant, so oblivious to the power of God in our lives that he just has to sit us down and say, look, you can't do anything here. There's nothing you could do. It has to be me. Now, if I was the disciples here, I'll probably do what they did and be like, okay, here's my task. I'm very task-oriented. If I, if, just give me a job, and I'm going to try my best to do it. So you give them some tea, all right? and we give them something to eat. But... Look at their response. It's the same thing. If even if I had the money, look look what they said. Shall we go and spend two hundred denarii on bread and give them something to eat? And John says that that that's not the that, that disciples say that's not even sufficient. So you could tell there's like a little bit of sarcasm here. Like two hundred denarii, Like well, first of all, what is two hundred denarii? One denarius is a uh, is a day's wage. So two hundred of that. If you you know if you exclude Um, uh, Saturdays and Sundays, or just Saturdays, um, they work Sundays. If you include Saturdays, that's about eight months of wages. So imagine that. Saving for eight months, you have all your money saved up for eight months, and then now, okay, I'm going to go buy these people food, but even that is not going to work out. And the disciples are really just saying this because they want to show that that's impossible for them to do it. They don't have 200 denarii. They just came back from their trip. And on the trip, Jesus told them, you can't take any money, you can't take any bread. So they just came back from the trip, and now they're faced with this impossibility. 200 denarii. There goes the emergency fund. More than that, right? So this was not large. This, this is, they did not have the sufficient means to do this. Now there's something the disciples are still missing here, even, even in, in, in the response it shows that they're missing something. There's something that the Lord wanted them to grasp. And whatever it is, it's going to become an important issue later on. Look at Just go down to Mark uh, 6.52. So we're going to look at this next week. But Mark 6.52, Jesus walks on water. And at the bottom it says, For they had not gained any insight from the incident of loaves, but their heart was hardened. There's something missing here that they did not get. What they missed is seeing who Jesus really is. That he is the Son of God. That he is a God incarnate. We know in Colossians 1, for by him all things were created. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him him, all things hold together. What we're looking at here, this, this, this person that they're standing next to, he is a powerful creator. And because he is powerful, and because he is compassionate, His blessings to his people will not be hindered. He will bless his people. And this is a challenge we face. Our challenge is, do we see Christ as big as he is? Or do our problems dwarf our Christ? Is our Christ big enough? For the disciples, once the problem was too big for them, once they saw that they couldn't do it, they automatically assume Jesus couldn't do it. That either he wasn't going to act or that he didn't have the power to act. But he is compassionate, so we know he's going to act. And he is powerful. And this is our next point the shepherd's power. So we saw that the shepherd is compassionate. We saw that the shepherd's challenge to the disciples, and now we're looking at the shepherd's power. The disciples are stumped. I mean, they say Jesus has told them to go. This is your problem. You give them something to eat, and they don't know what to do. And I can just picture Jesus saying, all right, guys, if you can do it, who else? Like silence. Okay, who do you know that perhaps could calm a storm? Nothing. All right, let's see what you have. (laughs) So he asked in verse 38, okay, he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go look. And when they find out, they said five and two fish. Again, and John John gives a little more information there. Andrew goes out looking and says, "Hey, there's a boy right here. He has a little lunch. Let's we could use that lunch." And so the, the boy has a lunch: five loaves and two fish. Now, I used to think this was an insane amount of food for a boy. I picked two loaves and like two loaves. I picture like two French rolls and then like two large salmon. Um, and I, just, I always go back to the kid in elementary school who, whose mom just packed him full of lunch and you open his lunch box and there's like Lunchables, Go-Gurt, like it's pretty much bonds in, bu- in, bu- in a box. Um, so I, it used to be, I used to think that way, but when, when I studied this, these loaves were not very big. These, these loaves were called barley cakes and they're, they're as good as they sound. Small, <laughs> small low quality bread that were, were baked at these little patties and the fish were probably more like anchovies. They were pickled or salted. And they were just to kind of put on the bread there just to give it a little flavor, made a little protein. Um, but that's it. So we're not, we're not looking at this big meal. So th- that makes this even more impossible, right? Andrew brings it up to, the, it up to Jesus and says, here's these five loaves and two fish, but what are these for so many people? I kind of wish Andrew just stopped right there. Five loaves and two fish. But he says, what are these for so many people? Like There's, this is, there's no point in having this. So Jesus, they give it to Jesus, and now Jesus commands them. Verse 39, he commanded them all to sit down by the groups on the green grass, and they sat down in groups of, of hundreds and of fifties. So I will think of a couple of reasons why Jesus would want to do this. First, easy food distribution. right? If you're sitting in groups of 1,500, the disciples can just go, here's, a, here's some food, and they'll distribute them among themselves, here's some food. And it also makes it easy to count. Groups of 50 and 100, you could count pretty easily how many people there are. And so that's how we know there's 5,000, uh, just by the way they're they grouped together. But it also makes it easy to see who's in charge, right? The, the crowd is there sitting down in these organized groups, and they can see who's who in charge. And if they, if they couldn't, or if they didn't know who's in charge, verse 41 kind of tells them, in verse 41, and he took the five loaves and two fish, and looking upward toward heaven, he blessed the food and broke the loaves, and he kept giving it to his disciples. So, what we see here in this prayer is not this, this prayer that Jesus gives is a prayer of things. It's a very customary kind of prayer, kind of like what, how we say grace before we eat. The, the Jews would, would pray, uh, the head of the household, or whoever the host was, would pray, break the bread, and, the, and he would distributed to his household or to his guests. So this is what Jesus is doing here. He's thanking the Lord. He's breaking the bread. And anyone who could see him pray knows that he is the host. Whatever is going to happen here, that's the guy responsible. Okay, so he takes his lunch and he gives it to his disciples. And we can see he keeps giving it to his disciples. And he kept giving them to the disciples to set before them. And he divided up the two fish among them all. Man, how much bread is this? How much fish is this? He gave this bread, and in verse 42, they all ate. 5,000 plus. They all ate, and they were satisfied. So what exactly happened here? Well, there have been a lot of attempts to discount what Jesus is doing. And ultimately, it comes down to looking at Jesus and saying, it's not possible for him to create bread. But this is the only explanation. If, if everyone was just sharing their food already, they wouldn't be satisfied. right? If I share my food with you, I'm not going to be satisfied because you took half of my food. So everyone was satisfied. This is not the food they brought. This was the compassionate shepherd showing that he is a powerful creator by being a, a great provider. Now, just how powerful is this? So I'm going to nerded out a little bit, brought out my calculator, uh, and used some physics here to help me. There's something called, bear with me, it's really interesting. Uh, <laughs> there, there's something called mass energy equivalence. And what that means is that mass could be energy, and you could tra- take mass and change it into energy, or you could change energy and put it to mass. Okay, and this has been studied for a while. It took, uh, it took scientists a long, long time to construct a, a, this laboratory, millions and millions of dollars, um, a lot of time to actually even see this, and when they did it, they saw this little mass that you couldn't even see with a with a microscope. They saw this little mass appear, and it decayed in less than a second. So all that effort, we able to use, we were able to do that. And uh, so this is where we would use a E equals mc squared, probably one of the most well known of physics, physics equations. So I took out my calculator, was like, how much energy is this? How much energy would Jesus have to use to create these, this bread? So, tied to my little calculator, put my glasses up. <laughs> <laughs> and one slice of bread would take as much energy as one megaton nuclear bomb. That's what we're doing. That's one slice of bread. That's like, you know, your wonder slices of bread. Right? Jesus here, to thousands and thousands of that. He's, he's just able to use, to make this energy himself. This is not like he, he used energy in the air. or whatever. He created it out of nothing, and now we have this bread. He uses this amazing power that he has to feed those lost sheep. What we're looking at here is a good shepherd. This is a good shepherd who gives energy who provides all the needs so that there is nothing lacking. This is a good shepherd who, who lays them down in green pastures, who provides food to the sheep in the wilderness. The feeding of the 5,000 points to Jesus as the Messiah, as the Savior, and is chosen him to be our compassionate shepherd, our powerful provider. So as I close this, I want to, two, I want to give you two questions of application, two questions. First question Is Jesus your shepherd or are you a lost sheep? Now, to really understand this, you've got to understand the crowd here. Remember what I said about the crowd? They're following Jesus for the signs. They weren't following Jesus for, for what he was teaching. In fact, Jesus later on says that he is a bread of life. And, and when this crowd hear, hears that and sees that he's not performing anything anymore, they leave him. They wanted a comfortable life, they wanted to be entertained. They didn't want a shepherd. They did not want a Savior. They give up the bread of life and they give up eternal life in doing so. What is it that you want today? Are you seeking after a comfortable life? Or if you're following Christ, if you're a follower of Christ, at least on the outside, why is it that you follow Christ? Is it because... That in following Christ, you could sin and have no guilt? That's not really following Christ. Is it because that when you follow Christ, you have a community now, you have friends? Well, you're not following Christ then. You're seeking after something else. Or do you follow Christ out of obligation? It is something you just do. In that case, you're not seeking Christ. If you're not seeking Christ, then you are a lost sheep without hope and without purpose. But here comes the good shepherd, and the good shepherd offers you hope. He offers you life. His offer is that your sins can be forgiven before God because he died on the cross for you. He died so that you may live. This is the bread of life. My second question is, is Jesus bigger than your problems, or are your problems bigger than Jesus? So we saw that Christ is our compassionate shepherd. We saw that Christ is a powerful provider. And yet, what did the disciples walk away with? They did not walk away with a clear view of Christ. They were right there. They were receiving the bread that never touched the ground. The bread that God created himself that was probably the freshest bread you ever had. And they did not have a clear view of Christ. When we look at the disciple story and what they went through, we clearly see that they are overwhelmed with the impossibility of the task, the impossibility of the challenge, that, that they project their failures, that their, their inabilities onto Christ. Essentially what they're saying, if it's impossible for us, then it's going to be impossible for Christ. And I would dare say that we do the same thing with our problems. There are some problems that we encounter that is just too impossible. And instead of going to Christ, we just sit back and say, nothing can be done. My solution didn't work, and that was the only solution. And what happens then? Fear begins to build. Doubt begins to creep in. And when you're right up against that impossibility, we close our eyes and we miss out the grace that is there. It could be a couple things. It could be a lot of things. It could be finances, right? You're looking at your finances, bank accounts going down, wondering where the Lord going to provide with next. It's not going to happen. Maybe it's marriage. Marriage is so broken beyond repair. Christ can't do it. Maybe it's your sin. Your sin just keeps gaining the victory and Christ can't do it. Whatever it is, whatever the problem is it seems too big for us, we have to cling to the fact that we have a... a a compassionate shepherd and a powerful provider. No problem is too big for Christ. If your problem is too big, then your Savior is too small. That's what it comes down to. Now, how does this look like in the midst of trial? We're going to see that next week. Next week, the disciples are going to go. They're going to be again in the middle of a lake. And we're going to see how this looks like in the trial. But in the meantime, don't be like these disciples. Don't miss... Seeing Christ in this miracle, in this 5,000, the feeding of the 5,000, he shows himself to be our compassionate and powerful shepherd. Trust him. Let him lead you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you, Lord, for this passage, that we could look to it and we could clearly see your compassion, your heart for your people, that we could see your power is, is beyond compare. And Lord, who are we to, to doubt how you work in our problems? Lord, but we do know that you're all-powerful, that you're all-knowing, and that you love us. Lord, if it, and if it wasn't for that combination, we would be so lost right now. But we could look to, to you, to our shepherd, and know that you care for us deeply, that you have compassion for us, that you are a sympathetic high priest. Lord, we lay our problems before you today, and we trust that you will act on them, that you will provide the solutions. Even if it's the solutions we don't think it, it, sh- it should be, Lord, we trust in you. And I pray, Lord, that there's anyone here who's having difficulty letting go of something, that you would just encourage them with your word. Praise Jesus' name. Amen.